0: The programme which follows is brought to you by Resonance 104.4 FM. You're
1: listening to Very Loose Women.
2: I am Leo, this is Emma. We are Very Loose Women, we're at the Feminist Library today.
0: Hi, my name's Anna and I'm a volunteer at the library. I've been volunteering here about five years, just on Saturdays and then sometimes weekday evenings around my job.
2: Hi, you're listening to Very Loose Women on Resonance 104.4 FM. In this episode, we are going to have a walking tour of the Feminist Library in South London.
0: Feminist Library is an archive of women's literature. It's kind of mainly from the women's liberation movement and it started in 1975 when that was at its peak. But it's carried on and had a very varied life and history in London. And now it's a hub for activists and researchers and different people, whether they're using the collection or having meetings and just meeting people who are interested in feminism. How did you first get involved with it here, the Feminist Library? I finished university and I wanted to do something. At the time, I think I was working in a pub and I wanted to do something that was interesting and help get experience of doing other things but also just to keep my mind active after I finished studying. And why the Feminist Library? What, what does it mean to you? To me it's really amazing to meet people in a context that's not work but not necessarily consuming anything it's just a space that's not dedicated to capital and you get to meet a really wide variety of different people so like I've got friends who are from the ages of 17 to 75 who I've met here and that's something you don't necessarily get. So there's like a community around it? Yeah definitely definitely. Do we start with this fiction and non- fiction room. Yes. Um, so Yeah. <laughs> The fiction and non-fiction. I mean there's a couple of things that are quite rare about it and um, one of them is that we have this special classification system that someone made it was a feminist archivist and scholar in the late 70s I think what's interesting about that is I mean there's a lot of political elements to how books are ordered and information is ordered for example if you wanted to find out about abortion in the Dewey Decimal system that would be under cruelty and there's really uh, yes, that's and... so interesting yeah so you always think like putting stuff in an archive is just alphabetical order but it's not there's a really political dynamic to it yeah. but that's really interesting as well because the archiving system is like a snapshot of the feminism that was alive at that time and now there's things that are coming into it and are different elements different and kind of more reflective of the times that we're living in
2: I've got loads of questions because I worked <laughs> in a library for two and a half years there are some really bizarre numbering in the Dewey system and you mm-hmm. do notice
0: that women as explorers and women as runners and stuff is something I've heard about the Dewey Decimal System I don't know if that's still the current one. Oh, I wouldn't know about that but that's interesting <laughs> so that would that would be in geography or history I don't know but okay. it's just the fact they're not in explorers they're like women as explorers oh, rather okay. than actual explorers which are men <laughs> yeah, it's, it's also like women explorers it's not even its own category then it's
1: women as as if like they're playing as yeah, yeah. which they're is that's real. quite inter- yeah exactly they're trying to be that's really interesting can you tell us about any of the books one that's caught my eye already and I guess it's also because it's put
0: at a slant compared to the other angles of the books is uh, Sports Dykes. Stories from on and off the field. So we're (laughs) currently in um, fiction and this is quite interesting. I mean a lot of it is quite funny. There's loads of things that are quite rare because they were published by little publishing houses. I mean Virago, that's a well known feminist publishing house. But there's also stuff like the Women's Press. There was a lot of people who were kind of setting up these publishers and they're not necessarily that well represented in other libraries. We've got a really incredible collection of things like 70s, lesbian detective novels but they are incredibly rare and another thing that's quite interesting about the archive that we've had which i really love about the library because it shows the concern with intersectional feminism that was part of it even from the very early stages because there's these colored dots they're stuck on the spines of the book so you can see them when you come in and they represent things that are about women who the organizer of the library felt were marginalized or didn't get well represented so i think it's like black women irish women jewish women lesbians and and there's groups that we now, like I was saying before, we now would probably say there's other groups that are marginalised as well, but for them, the idea was these were their political concerns. actually set up a library and how did that actually come about? Well it came about it was originally one shelf um, in the heyday of the women's liberation movement there was various different women's centres and there was just a lot going on it's really amazing listening to you. there's one member of our collective has been in the library for the forty. 40- Years, forty-five years, it's been going, and she has told us stories about what it was like. It was a really exciting time, but they really felt no one was going to document this, and they thought if people, if we want this to be documented, we have to document it ourselves. So they did, and they just started collecting stuff. And then it's really interesting; it's history because it reflects London and what spaces are available for different groups. There was various different women's centres that had funding, and in the early days, the library moved around a lot. When I asked about that, I would kind of thought like, was that because they were getting kicked out? And they said, no, it was just bigger and bigger spaces. It was just a really exciting time the GLA, GLC, like Mm. London Council was funding all these spaces so that wasn't really as much of an issue they were just like oh where should we go although there were some funny things where I think at one point they were pretending that this women's centre was someone's flat so if someone came around to inspect it they had to quickly put everything away and then like put out a kitchen table and a bed and stuff
1: the criteria for being included that it's by a woman or author or does it have to be
0: about women some things are not written by women that are in the library and it's pretty ad hoc i don't know hopefully there's not some kind of system that i'm unaware of to be honest at the moment it's really difficult for us to get new stock so although we gather scenes where we can and we get given books by publishers sometimes authors send us their books it's like a very ad hoc way of gathering things
2: Should we move down this end. Are we still in fiction here? This
0: is non fiction that we're in now. So these are the categories that I was talking about that were part of the feminist classification system, which I can just read you off the wall, which are. Um General, history, society, customs and beliefs, education, politics, including women's liberation movement, health, sexuality, lifestyles, work, law and rights, crimes against women, including violence against women, communications in the mass media, arts, including literary criticism and leisure, sports, women, travellers, etc. These are the intersectional parts. Black women and women of colour, working class women, women with disabilities, Jewish women, lesbians and Irish women. So that's quite interesting because now that you know Irish women I mean obviously I can't speak for Irish women necessarily but maybe they're not hopefully quite as marginalised as they might have been in the 70s in London but then there are other women that we would really like to welcome like trans women who would be that aren't necessarily represented by this particular classification system.
2: It is interesting you are saying how classification is really represent. it's like a, it's a snapshot of the thoughts of a
1: time. Things like disability issues I feel like are a more recent than coming into prominence but it's really cool to see that actually back then also. It's
0: actually really interesting you bring that up because I was looking at and talking about the gla because we took part in an exhibition recently that was at rich mix called radical libraries so we went through our archive a lot of our posters in ephemera which are actually housed at the bishop's gay institute but it's the feminist library collection within their, their archives um, and we made posters that were for events and spaces and publications that we have in our periodicals and ephemera and there was a lot of things that i really noticed that when people were having these like groups there was a signer was offered and things like that we really have to think about as many people as possible accessing these things i don't know if there's a lift in this building yeah there is a lift that's one oh, thing um that we've because uh, recently i mean we can go on to this more but the council are trying to evict us from this building which was set up by the gla for groups who were engaged in anti-racist activities and there are loads of different community groups here but one thing that we've been complaining about recently is um we're paying twelve thousand pounds a year to set the council to be here and the uh the lift keeps breaking but when someone came around to inspect it he sent us an email after saying well the lift worked for me when i was there it's like yeah but the older women who were coming are like saying you know i couldn't i couldn't get up the stairs just a quick Point of information, the GLA
2: is what? The Greater London Authority. Are there any books that you
0: would point out
2: in this non-fiction room? Because I noticed there's a kids' section around there.
0: There's one called Twenty to Fights the School Board that always catches my eye that I quite like. We work with um, this organisation called Letterbox Library, who are really amazing, and they do things that they work with schools and nurseries and all kinds of institutions that um, interact with young people. They have this really broad spectrum of books that represent different diversity in all different ways, different sexualities to kids, and also giving people, I guess, aspirational roles. I'm kind of at the age now. Where I'm thinking maybe I'll have kids and it's really horrifying to think all this like oh you can be a princess and it's like so so gendered all these things for kids like reinforce these awful gender roles.
1: My brother recently had a baby daughter Mm. and um, I went to like look for a really nice book for her I mean she's only just born so she doesn't really need to read yet but you know I thought I'd buy her a really nice book and I spent ages looking in bookshops and I found it really difficult to find any books where like the main character was a girl and even, you know, when it's animals, all the animals were boys, basically. So I was, like, really struggling. And then if it was a main character that was a girl, they were always, like, yeah, princess or something like that. And I really kind of, I guess I hadn't, it hadn't occurred to me so much until I was kind of faced with, like, none of these books are actually, you know, representing girls in a kind of powerful way, which is quite disappointing. But obviously here at the Feminist Library, there are some books that are doing that.
2: This seems like a really well-organised periodicals from, actually, as, as an archivist myself. Well, one
0: thing that's like really rare about it is actually that anyone can come in and grab a box and start routing through, which in terms of archiving is not necessarily your ideal scenario. It's really important for us that people can do that because in a lot of other archives, you have to like go, you have to be a member, you have to get someone to write a letter for you sometimes, and you have to fill in a slip, and then they bring you what you're allowed to look at. Here, you can just pull stuff off the shelves and have a look, which is good, but then we obviously have to balance our responsibility to keep this archive safe and everything because it's really rare a lot of it but it's really important for us that everyone can access it so we're always trying to balance those two things so it goes alphabetically through we still have these little paper booklets that tell you in alphabetical order we don't have an online catalogue of these although we do have an online catalogue of the fiction which I would recommend people go on our website and look at.
2: What is the website?
0: (laughs) (laughs) feministlibrary.co.uk so we have here they're um, all different international periodicals and it's really amazing I mean Spare Rib as you pointed out that's like one of the most well known ones. And the British Library is currently in the process of digitising a lot of that and making it available online. But that's been a really difficult process for them actually as well because of various copyright issues and just tracking things down. Have they been in contact with you about issues
2: as in copies that they didn't (laughs) have?
0: Yeah, they have. So it's like, do you have a spare 67? And they've just been like rooting through everything trying to find them.
2: Well, that really highlights the value and the importance of this library, like Spare
0: Rib, which was, would you call it a feminist magazine? It's a socialist feminist magazine. People have pointed out who've worked with this archive more that maybe it was more representing white women and then there was more diversity that got in over the different years and you can kind of see how it's changed and even the way it's produced is maybe it's like more professional, maybe it's more glossy in different years and stuff. At the time maybe people weren't really
2: recognising it for its political value and now well the people as in the British Library and the institutions mm-hmm. like that. And now yeah. they're looking back and saying actually we had this great big gaping hole and we need to
0: mm-hmm. have a look. Is there any other parts of your archive that, that you think would you know yeah, the British Library everything. and I mean everything. We were like because we have been facing eviction recently, people have been protesting to try and get Southwark to recognise the value of this archive and save it because this stuff does not exist in other libraries and people saved it and people just have blood, sweat and tears type thing just trying to keep these things here and at some point, you know, the establishment is going to be like, oh yeah, actually that is really valuable. You know, how long are women going to be like, oh please recognise that value? It's like we have to just fight for ourselves and keep ourselves because we have spare rib here but that is like a tiny shelf. You can see that's four or five archive boxes. There's hundreds of archive boxes. In We've got 1,500 different publications. There's newsletters that are like black and working class women's newsletter of which there was four issues maybe. Some of them are quite mainstream publications, Harpies and Queens, a Scottish feminist magazine. But sometimes there are news sheets that someone's typed on a typewriter and then photocopied and it's like no one else has copies of these apart from the ones here. So I'm just looking around and it's quite remarkable because it seems like it's things from all over
1: the world. So I see something like from New Zealand over here, It's one in French, and there's a Russian women network. And also Zimbabwe, right next to each other is Zimbabwe Women's Resource Centre. So it's just it's a huge collection. Um, Where did you get all these from?
0: A lot of people have posted them, it's a really good question, I mean people have posted them to us people have brought them to us, I mean I'm really amazed sometimes because I obviously volunteer here on Saturdays and even now it's people, like no one will come in all day and then someone will come in and be like I've come from Tokyo to visit this library or like I've come from the US and this was like top of my list to do in London and that's amazing, not enough people who live in London (laughs) maybe come. I actually just had a question as well as to like how it works, so
1: do you have to become a member or can anyone just walk in and have a
0: look? Anyone can come in, I mean we have our opening hours we're always open by volunteers, so opening hours we have them up on the website but I think it's Wednesday from two to six Tuesday from six to nine Thursday from six to nine type thing and then Saturdays in the daytime so that's one thing that like we don't have the kind of opening hours that can compete with like a mainstream library but whenever we're open we really like people to kind of come in whether they're doing research or doing an art project or kind of just want to come in and kind of look around at stuff. We don't have loads of space or anything, but we just want people to come and see us. Can you borrow the books from here? It was at one point a borrowing library, but we don't really have the resources to do that now, and especially because a lot of it is so rare that um, we can't really risk people kind of taking it and not giving it back. Even with the best will in the world, we've all not returned things that we've borrowed, I think. But we really encourage people to use stuff in the library and to photocopy stuff. Is there any, because you said there are some typewritten ones, are there any that you can show us right now? This is something I looked at when we were collaborating for the recent exhibition, is Working Class Women's Voice. June 1987, a non-profit making magazine produced monthly by working class women. I mean, it was such an amazing thing just to go through them and just look through for stuff. There was one of these newsletters that people write in and people were writing I need this like I'm looking for a roommate I'd like to collaborate on something or like I'm a bit isolated I just want to talk to someone about this and then I was like does anyone have a spare cello tape dispenser because this magazine could really use one. It's nice to see how people were doing that before the digital age. I guess you had to like do it by post, and it took a lot longer. So it says th- 30 pence. These would be posted to the subscribers. Yeah. So I mean, we still do it now. We produce our own newsletter, and some people get that by post. I mean, a lot of people get it by email, but it's like a lot of people just still do it in the same way. I think this is just
1: also pointing out gaps in my feminist knowledge because I I think that like my kind of reading of feminism is that recently it's become a lot more intersectional, and that just doesn't you know looking around here is. So many like niche things. Also, we're looking at sorry. This one is black slash non-white and working class women's voice. So obviously, like that's really hitting a lot of the kind of intersectionality things. I I guess I wasn't really aware that those things were yeah. being pump- yeah. produced. Definitely just really amazing
0: for me and like I'm um, working intergenerally intergenerationally is like a really important part of the feminist library's whole ethos and everything but a lot of people I mean I encounter that so much that they're like oh you know second wave feminist is transphobic and middle class and it's really good to discover that actually it wasn't always like that we're not just only working against what's in the past there's a lot that obviously is great and we're trying to really carry that on as well like we've recently got a new community policy that the whole collective's agreed of how we can make sure that it's a safe space for everyone and really try and welcome people who are marginalised within feminism.
1: So does a feminist library subscribe to a particular school of feminism here? How does it work?
0: And we really are dedicated to having a plurality of feminisms and being non-sectarian. And that's always been a really important part of the feminist library is different opinions and different people can meet and really share knowledge because that's like a really important thing to provide a safe space for people to do that. But at the same time, we also have brought this community policy into effect because we want to make sure that no one is oppressed or unable to actually access the space because of that so it's actually drawing that line between different opinions are important but you need to understand why that's not okay to say certain things and it's actually creating a really positive space for people to say like actually you can't use that language this is why that's not okay and stuff for people to grow There are lots of conflicts within feminism and it's really important for us to be intersectional and provide that space for discussion.
1: Is the Feminist Library a women-only space or anyone at all can come and have a look or what's the rules?
0: It's open to all people. Part of our community policy is that we respect the right of people to self-organise in groups that might be sort of like women of colour could have a meeting or self-defined women only could have a meeting but we explicitly have said no one can organise a meeting that's women only that doesn't welcome trans women so it's for people who identify as women so that's a big step to make that explicit because even though a lot of us were like oh yeah of course that's what it would be people can draw their own conclusions unless you put that out there.
2: Is there anything else you wanted to point out from these? These are some great one. illustrations.
0: Yeah, there's some, like, um... Greenham Common Women's Peace Camp that's something that people might not know about that was really amazing it was like an anti-nuclear camp that went on for years and years and years and they had a newsletter within it there was people who lived in this camp for years and years so there's these newsletters that I found that were people saying oh I came here and I was going to stay for two weeks and I've been here for the last two years and wow. there was just all these people's letters that they put in there there's actually a really amazing recipe for a vegan Spanish omelette and there's loads of things as well that I mean other members of the collector collections group who have been going through this they find things like people's zines zines. Making zines is obviously really popular now still, but people were making them and it was their blog in a way, and it was, oh yeah, I'm really sorry, I haven't written for so long, it's been doing this, and it was like these really personal things.
2: Oh yeah, the bookshop, yeah, shall we look at the bookshop? Uh, So yeah, we're in front of the bookshop, right?
0: So this is the bookshop which we just run on Saturdays and um, I actually started this in November 2012. It was inspired by News From Nowhere in Liverpool which is a really amazing feminist bookshop that's been run by a co-op of women and it's been there for years and years and years. I thought like why shouldn't we have a feminist bookshop at the library so I also went to see them and chatted to them and they gave me loads of tips and stuff so that's nice thanks guys what's the uh,
2: key tip for running a feminist bookshop
0: um well we kind of get in touch we have like a really broad range of stuff that's from mainstream publishers but then also people self-publish things so we have a mix of different arrangements some of it's sale or return and some of it we buy outright from people and stuff so I do all the buying of the stock but it's good that like sometimes if people approach us and say can you sell my book or can you sell my zine we do it sale or return so we just like display it in our bookshop and at our events we go around zine fairs and we have stalls but then i'll walk around and meet people and either like buy a bunch of their zines or start up an arrangement with them and then we just have stuff that's from publishers like zed books and verso and pluto are all like really good like radical publishers and they're all really nice and give us good solidarity discounts are there any titles that you've been a
2: part of picking out and you feel particularly strongly about
0: Feminism is for Everybody by bell hooks is a really amazingly influential book especially for intersectional feminists and um, I'm quite keen to read this autobiography of Asata Shakur she was really amazing she was one of the black panthers and she escaped from a really high security prison she's Tupac's godmother I think and she was on the FBI's most wanted list. A lot of the stuff in the library is very 60s 70s 80s so it's really good that we can have stuff now that's the stuff that's being published that's on the cutting edge of feminism. Verso have published some really amazing things recently like the Ron Ware book Beyond the Pale that's about white women dominating feminism oh, and we have um, some zines which we've actually made as well there's um, a feminist space is this was the second one of our graphic arts events it was run by some women who asked artists to respond to a statement so the first one was i call myself a feminist because and the second one was a feminist spaces and then we have all these different artists who've submitted work some of it's photography illustration yeah some nice drawings here
2: So you said the library's existence since 1975. 75, And how long has it been in this space, and why might it move?
0: It's been in this space since 1986. Because um, in the 80s, this was funded by the Greater London Authority, GLA, as a building for community groups who were specifically engaged in anti-racist activities. And the Feminist Library wanted to join and was deemed involved in anti-racist activities enough to be included. And we also have, at the moment, there's the Tibet Foundation. And there was the Ghana Welfare Refuge Group. Used to be upstairs, but they're not anymore. They've actually been evicted recently. When the building was set up, it was ring-fenced to be for community groups for 25 years but now that's expired. So Southwark Council actually own the building so they're our landlords. We've been getting this special rent arrangement that reflected the fact that it was for community groups so we pay service charge. The service charge has gone up and up and it has recently been £12,000 a year in service charge that we paid to the council but then they decided because they've had so many funding cuts that they wanted to make it market rent so if anyone can rent a place in this building. The covenant that was left that had to be for community groups has expired now so it's up to them and they were just like what this is worth is £30,000 a year for the space that we've got the wallpapers peeling off the lift Mm. keeps breaking and stuff like that but even so I mean for us we were just like oh my god we don't have those kind of resources we're not a commercial organisation we're a library and we're not getting public funding but even so how are you raising 12000 a year? well a variety of means I mean, we have some really generous donors and we've recently formalised this friend scheme that we have so I really encourage people to if you have the means to give any amount of money on a regular basis even if it's £2 a month £4 a month whatever just having those regular donations are really good so we have it on our website you can sign up to be a friend so it'd be amazing if anyone wants help with that (laughs) and then we also have the bookshop we have a lot of events and um, we do apply for different bits and bobs of grants but mostly it's donors who are keeping us going. If the rents do
2: when when is that going
0: to happen going up to 30,000 and what are your options? Well (laughs) they actually told us this on I mean they've kind of been indicating that they might do this for quite a long time But we didn't want to make a big public thing about it because we were just hoping that it wouldn't happen. But then on the 23rd of December 2015, so it was like two days before Christmas, they sent an email saying it's going to be £30,000 from the 1st of March. And if you don't pay that money, you will be evicted on the 1st of March. So we wrote them a letter saying what we'd like to do is if you could gradually increase it, we're increasing our fundraising. We've got this friend scheme and everything could you do it gradually could you work with us and they were like no you will be evicted on the 1st of march so we were just like we've got nothing to lose now so we went on change.org and started a petition and it was really amazing i mean i always knew that we had a lot of support and if we did say we're in danger people would get behind us but it got two thousand signatures in the first 12 hours and then it just rocketed up it got sixteen thousand signatures and we got coverage of the guardian and the huffington post the Morning Star were really good um, and loads and loads of ID magazine written about us so like a really broad spectrum of people were showing support and also because it's Women's History Month in March so people we were just kind of like, we're being evicted. A feminist library has been evicted on the first day of Women's History Month and we also organised a read-in outside the council's budget setting meeting so we got loads of people to come and people made little like banners. There was about 100 people reading from feminist books but everyone was reading over, reading each, other, reading each, other, over each other. It was really like cacophonous, cacophonous and then fell silent loud. and then they started up again and got loud. So that was a bit of direct action performance style thing that worked pretty well. Like the whole publicity campaign, obviously, like scared the council a little bit, <laughs> and they said that they would give us another six months not paying any extra rent until the end of October in which to sort ourselves out and find somewhere. What they've been saying is, you've got this time to figure out somewhere to leave. It's not been like, we can work with you to stay in the borough because we really value you. I think they see us as a liability and they think they can make a lot of money out of this building. I mean, they've had really awful cuts and they've been saying, you know, we're having to cut frontline services. So many boroughs are kind of shutting down libraries and services for the elderly and children. They're not really encouraging us to stay here. They just kind of want us to go really. At the moment it's really difficult obviously to find a new home in London. We've been talking to a lot of different community groups and we've got some possibilities and luckily because of the generosity of everyone who's donated to our emergency fund, that's helped us and we're looking now at different spaces that would be good for us again as I mentioned before we've got this friend scheme and what was really useful for us is to have these regular donations even if they're small it's good for us to know what we're going to have coming in monthly and that will kind of really help us have a long-term stable home so check out our website of how to join.
1: I just wondered if you have links with any other feminist libraries are there any ones that you know of?
0: Actually that's a brilliant question and um, we started up something or we kind of co-started something called the Feminist Libraries and Archives Network or FLA so that is basically there's a few different spaces in the UK and I think people don't necessarily know Know that because when we've said oh we might get evicted, people have said oh you should move up north. But there is actually something brilliant called Feminist Archives North, which is in Leeds. There's Nottingham Women's Centre, and then there's also the Glasgow Women's Library, which is absolutely amazing. Like it's so beautiful. And then um, through starting up this network, we've also been in contact with different international feminist organisations as well. Like I know there's an Italian feminist archive. There's people from the US who have contacted us. But yeah, there is a little underground network of or overground, hopefully. <laughs> So as I I guess a kind of fundraiser,
1: there's going to be a benefit, is that right, at the Feminist Library? And when's that happening? Can you tell us some more about it?
0: So it's the first Saturday in July, it's the 2nd of July and it's at the Feminist Library so um, we are just down the road from Elephant and Castle but also Lambeth North Tube Station and we're a short walk from Waterloo just at St George's Circus so look for the blue and white sign that says London School of Law and we're just above it It's going to be a whole day that's going to be amazing, we're going to have loads of different zine stalls and people selling their artwork and we have this whole performance programme that includes Ali Smith and Anna and Gina who are two of the raincoats which is really exciting. Um, We've also got loads of different spoken word and music performers. Some of the people who are going to be involved are going to be Alison Blunt, Alison Wonderland, Anita Ponton, the Baby Seals are going to be playing, Buckton Building, the Electric Bells, Rachel House. Rachel House, <laughs> a former loose Women interviewee. Oh, yeah. yeah, so there's going to be all these different like performances. I mean, it's her whole programme. So there's going to be different performances that take over different spaces in the library and use the space in really unexpected ways. And there's going to be things like a feminist photography booth in our storage room and things happening in the lift and stuff. So wow. just oh, feminists yeah. are going to like making use of any space and it goes on from two till ten and there'll be things happening throughout the day and in the evening that's going to be the gig and dancing we're selling tickets via our website and eventbrite if you just log on to feministlibrary.co.uk you can find a link and we have a range of different prices for different incomes and we do have a very limited number of tickets for people who literally cannot afford to come so if people get in contact with us we want to kind of include everyone
1: so brilliant well i hope to see lots of uh, our listeners attending that
2: that was a guided tour of the feminist library in south london thanks for listening to very loose women please remember to follow us on twitter at vlw radio and like our page on facebook the songs you heard in this episode were esg there was get funky erase you moody and dance the raincoats their song and then it's okay emmy the great remix by css the god of loneliness and finally the blow true affection and parentheses Thanks so
1: much Anna for speaking to us and showing us around the library. I'll definitely be coming back to check out some of the some of the zines, some of the publications here. It looks really, really interesting and thank you very much for the tour.